This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan and we are coming to you on Thursday evening, April 29th. We are almost into the month of May, done with the first month of the baseball season. And we have a four-game set to talk about here with the Atlanta Braves. And then, of course, at the end, we will get you ready for the weekend set with the Cincinnati Reds. But, Brendan, this uh, was not a good series. It does finish on a high note, though, as the Cubs avoid a four-game sweep. Uh, A very nice win on Thursday. If the Cubs could play more games like they did on Thursday... I think they'd have a pretty good chance at success this season, but unfortunately, preceding Thursday's uh, events were three pretty tough losses that we will all get into. So uh, a mixed bag of a series. Alzelay looked really good, dude. And it, and it came on the same day we saw some like positive like national media reports from Eno Saris of The Athletic. So Alzelay is getting some some hype, and I think that's good for him, like mentally and from his you know confidence point of view. And in that last game, we'll get into it, but them going to the opposite field a little bit more. Rizzo had two hits to the opposite field. Javi was going oppo twice, almost had two op- uh, opposite field home runs. KB's going oppo up the, up the middle. So some positives. It's getting late though. We're gonna we're eleven to fourteen entering May. It's 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 getting late, but there there were positives in that last game. Yeah. So as we've discussed a lot in this off season, and certainly at the beginning of this season, as time goes on, as we, especially as we flip the calendar to a different month, that looming cloud of of Jed Hoyer and and what he might want to do, and and the direction he decides to pick for this organization and and more specifically a lot of these individual players it does that cloud grows bigger right like I we don't know what's going to happen when it might happen or or what the kind of trigger points for a, a different scenario a different path are but as we enter May, you know, the, the team is uh, in last place in the division as we're recording this late on Thursday night, uh, but only four games back of the Milwaukee Brewers. So certainly still right in the thick of things despite an 11-14 and 14 record. Uh, you certainly wouldn't look at any of this and write any of it off, but we just know that the runway may not be all the way until October. It might be until the end of May, uh, the end of June. We we don't really know how long of a, a runway this team has to sort of prove themselves as contenders or a legitimate threat for the division. And unfortunately, we don't know if that would even matter in terms of uh, what the front office is planning on doing with a lot of these guys on expiring contracts, one-year contracts. So that is sort of looming over everything. And, and Brendan, it, it feels better tonight because, as you said, there are a lot of positives. Uh, the offense looked good tonight. You know, you mentioned Javi Baez. He had one of those games where he was just missing. You, you felt like he was just—he just Twice. missed hitting like three home runs in this three, game. Yeah, three times actually. Yeah. yeah, and that's usually a good sign for for any player, and I think particularly for Baez, who's been plagued so much by whiffs and uh, not making contact in the zone. As you said, going oppo, just missing a few home runs. It did feel like one of those games where it's like, okay, maybe like we're about to get a little bit of a bust out here for Javi. We'll talk about. Uh, Alzali and what he did tonight and how important that that is. We'll talk a little Nico and how important all that is. But it is sort of 
creeping in. There's like a, a dread, like an anxiety that's creeping in um, when they do lose the first three games of this series. You know, they were they were uh, attempting to avoid the sweep, which they did. And, you know, to a Braves team that you figure is going to be competitive, but has not been up until this point, except they've been good against the Cubs. So it, it, that that sort of anxiety does sort of start to creep in. I, I got the sense you in particular kind of started to feel it a little more uh, this week, Brendan. It's a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Just, I mean, it's just the expiring contracts that's coming up. And when you start to assess the strengths and weaknesses of the team for, for a month, it does give you a lot of anxiety seeing Hendricks start off this slow. And it's not as if to say he's not going to get back to his normal self because the likelihood is he does. It's just a matter of when. And it's a matter of when because if it's not soon, then you will have to start making decisions of where to send scouts, where to pour your resources in. And is that for selling guys? Is that for selling Chris Bryant and Avi Baez? And I mean, Rizzo's going to be a free agent. I hope to God that never happens. But these are legitimate conversations right. that are probably being had right now. And whether it hurts me doesn't really matter. But the fact is, we're entering May. We will be below 500. The Brewers are having two ace-type starters in their rotation shove right now, even though one just went on the IL. This this is a this is a reality. It's becoming a shaky reality, and they have to turn it around sooner rather than later, or some of these discussions will become even more difficult. Right, and I, I think you guys know this, uh, but it's always worth reiterating. Reiterating, like not the 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 direction they might take is not the one that we you know we wouldn't have set it up this way but this is where they are and so you know it's it's only right to kind of talk about it honestly but let's I'm I'm not gonna do a deep dive into these recaps but want to set the table a little bit just because it is four games just want to remind you guys of a little bit of what we're going to be talking about here and uh again just just set things up so we can talk about some of the good some of the bad and take maybe a little bit of perspective of just where we are and how things might proceed from here because uh, again the reality is that while they're only four games back it's only been a month into the season they're obviously still uh, competitive and and a a potential threat to win this division uh, only a month into the season that that may not be the the reality that the front office is looking at. So so we have to kind of consider that perspective. Uh, but again, the the Braves winning the first three games of this series, the things of note, uh, very very d- disappointing on Monday that the Cubs wasted a game tying grand slam from one Christopher Lee Bryant, who is uh, on MVP form. Folks, if if you've uh, had mean tweets about Chris Bryant or anything like that over the years, you ought to be deleting them uh, because you're looking not very smart at the moment, um, as Brendan and I have tried to warn you for years, that if he's healthy, this is what it looks like, and he's healthy, and this is what it looks like. Uh, That was his sixth of the year on Monday. It was another one, another rough one from Zach Davies. Three and two-thirds, six hits, five earned runs, four each in the walk and strikeout category. Quite simply, not good enough from him all year. We'll touch on him a little bit, but that's really the story, folks. He just, he's been awful and he needs to be better, uh, pretty simply, pretty bluntly. On Tuesday, 
The Braves winning this one 5 to nothing. The Cubs enter a two-day stretch of very little offense. No runs on Tuesday and Wednesday. Trevor Williams was good on Tuesday, though. Five innings, six hits, two earned, two walks, and eight strikeouts. He only threw 86 pitches in those five innings, so he could have kept going, deserved better, uh, but unfortunately he gets hung with a loss, only allowing two runs on Wednesday. It was another rough one for Kyle Hendricks, and I know, uh, I'm assuming some of you are are waiting to hear Brendan diagnose this and tell you whether to freak out or what to be looking for, and he will do just that. He will be uh, telling us about Kyle Hendricks and what is going on because it is not uh, a familiar spot to see a seven and a half ERA from the professor. Three and two-thirds, 11 hits, seven earned runs, no walks, and three strikeouts. He gives up three home runs. Uh, Brendan, uh, uh, just to, to bring you back in here, uh, call me crazy. I'm, I'm not the smartest analyst in the world, but especially right now, I, based on the two starts he's had against them, I'm going to say the Braves are a bad matchup for Kyle Hendricks. Not the yeah. best, Corey. Just go away Atlanta for forever. Yeah. Uh, not not <laughs> not a good matchup for, for Kyle Hendricks. I think that's fair to say uh, from what we've seen so far. Again, no runs on Wednesday for the Cubs, so nothing to recap there. And then on Thursday, the the good game of the series. We we finish on a good note, uh, nine to three. The final, uh, the Cubs get sixteen hits to score those nine runs. Adbert Azalai was really good in this game. Uh, six innings, four hits, two earned, one walk, six strikeouts. He gives up one home run, picks up his first W of the season. Jake Marisnik hitting a home run in this game. The Cubs getting some of their other runs. Uh, Chris Bryant with an RBI single started this one off. Javi Baez, a sack fly. Jason Hayward, an RBI single. Jason Hayward, an RBI double. Nico with an RBI single. Matt Duffy with an RBI single. And Wilson Contreras got the ninth run home with a sacrifice fly. Craig Kimbrell coming into the game on Thursday with a really nice inning. He did walk one, but he struck out one. And Andrew Chafin came in in a... The the Cubs had a a nice cushion, but it was a tight spot still from a relief point standpoint. And he did put out the fire, getting Freddie Freeman to bounce back to him. And he converted the double play. Trevor McGill also getting into this one. He allows a hit, but nothing else in an inning of work. So a couple of solid outings to start his major league career for our new tall friend in the bullpen in Trevor McGill. So that is the story of the series. Again, just kind of wanted to set things up a little bit. But Brendan, I I know this was a, a rough series, right? And a lot of it, not unlike we've talked about, right? The, some of the problems you can sum up the starting pitching not good enough, the starting pitching not going deep enough. Uh, then, of course, we have two games in this series where the offense disappears on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. No runs. The Cubs only get two hits on Tuesday and five hits on Wednesday. So two straight days, no runs, a total of seven hits. Obviously, that's not very good. So while it wasn't a good series, I don't want to bury the bad necessarily, but a lot of it was stuff that we've been talking about the entire season, right? So it's not necessarily noteworthy in in a lot of respects. So where I do want to start is something that is noteworthy, and that is what Adbear Alzali did tonight. And not only was it a significant night for him in terms of his career, this was the deepest he's gone in a start in his big league career. This was the most pitches he's thrown in a start in his big league career. It was his first quality start in his big league career. He also recorded his first major league hit 
in this game tonight. So this was a really nice start for him. But take me through what you saw from him, from his pitches. I know his slider is quickly becoming uh, a darling pitch, as you mentioned, amongst some of the national writers and some of the guys that dig in to these advanced metrics on these pitches and stuff like that. But I want to start with Alzali, not only for what he means to the 2021 season, but he's one of those guys where when we have a weird year, like we do in 2021, Jed Hoyer called it a transitional year, etc. His development and his progress to ending this season at a point where you feel very confident in what you have and you can go into 2022 with him as your number two or number three and feeling confident, hey, this guy's ready to give us you know 25 plus starts get towards 180 innings, and this is a guy who is going to win us games in this rotation. That is one of the most important things that can happen for the Cubs in 2021. So many contracting, so many decisions to be made, but it is so important that Adbear develops and takes those steps in this season, and Thursday night was an excellent, excellent, excellent place to continue that progress. The last start seems to be a new trend for him ever since he made those two changes to his repertoire late September last year, where he's throwing sinkers and sliders. He's throwing sliders again more than half the time. So if you're up there facing Alzali, you're probably going to face at least two to three sliders per at-bat. And that slider is just disgusting. We we highlighted it a little bit when he got called up last year, but the first game he showcased that slider, he had more horizontal movement on that pitch than already at that time, 80% of big leaguers. And right now in 2021, this according to Eno Saris where, that he tweeted out today, there's this new metric called Stuff Plus, and it's kind of a, a gory type of of method to develop this, but it's going to represent more or less what you want it to represent. Which pitcher and which pitches are better from a stuff point of view, from like movement and spin and all that, compared to an average guy. And for Alzali slider this year, it's the fifth best on just stuff. Just it's called stuff plus. Fifth best Corey. And so he's throwing that pitch that slider again over half the time. And then he's complementing that with a two-seamer that more or less just breaks the complete opposite way of that slider. And so that two-seamer, that sinker, didn't have that last year. He didn't have the slider either. But he's kind of playing off those two pitches. And what does that sound? It sounds like Arietta from like forever. And he still does that, just not as effective in his older age at this point. But it's the same type of scenario where you have this cut, this tight cutting breaking pitch in that slider coupled with this tight tailing fastball thrown with a lot of velocity that's going the complete opposite direction. And there are a few uh, gifts, one of which put out by the Pitching Ninja, where he threw out this, what he calls a sword, where the the batter like checks his swing and misses it, and he's you know he's out because of the of the swinging strike, but Alzolai's two seamer was up in the zone, in on the hands thrown in the mid nineties. This this is a different pitcher, and he keeps doing this on a on an outing basis. This is not a fluke. He came up. He's a four seam curveball guy. He's not the same guy. Now he's a slider two-seam guy, similar to Jake. 
He was throwing in some change-ups today. He got a whiff on the change-up. He's averaging like 94.5, 95 with his fastballs. The only step that needs to be completed next is stamina, not only in the game, getting past you know, the 6th and 7th innings, which I think he's going to eventually, but also lasting deeper in the season. And we know he's on a pitch count. We know he's on an innings limit. They're going to be careful with him. But for him to take that next step, got to have the stamina. Got to go through, you know, 30-plus starts a year or close to it, like we've seen from Kyle Hendricks and Jake Arrieta. And so once he gets to that step, this stuff is not going to go away. It's just a matter of getting to that step where you can count on him you know, every fifth day, 30 times a year. And if he does that, you know, he's a top pitcher in the league. He's an ace quality pitcher for your team, Corey. Yeah. And, you know, he's another one where everything you see from him, uh, he's a very easy guy to root for, very humble, uh, always very excited. You know, he's been uh, doing a thing, you know, sort of tweeting things in the morning, like, have a great day, everybody, stuff like that. He was uh, really excited after he got his first hit tonight, joking about it in the in the post game that he didn't really know how he made contact with it, but he was, it was a very cool moment for him and stuff. So, you know, that always helps, uh, you know, just that he's a very easy guy to root for. You, you love seeing him succeed. But yeah, like that's that's the step you want to see, and that's something that is so important throughout this season. And he's not alone in that. Nico Horner is is also, you know, I think those are kind of like your headliners in terms of, yeah, like we're paying attention to 2021, the team, the results, and how they're doing, but also like a subset of that. Like we just really need these guys to take those steps and develop and, and make that progress. And for Adbear, it's, yeah, you're, you're dead on. It's, it's being able to go deeper in games, build that stamina, and just sort of build up that uh, reputation and that ability to be, like you said, Brendan, an ace. Be a guy who is going out there and giving you six, seven, eight innings of dominance. And, you know, he doesn't have to round into a, a number one starter. You know, there, there's no, like, particular box that he needs to necessarily yeah. fit in. But you just like to be at a place, I think, by the end of this season where you feel confident in what you have for 2022. And again, whether where you slot him in, what you envision that exactly being is, is hard to say. But, you know, remember when we came into this season, we didn't know that he was going to necessarily even break camp in in the rotation. Right. We didn't. We we don't even know now how many starts he's going to make or how deep he's going to be able to go into this season or how they're going to have to manage that usage. And come next opening day, and when you're building your rotation for the future, that's where you want to be. More clarity there. Him him ready to take that next step and slot into that rotation. Stay there. And, and be a guy who is a top of the rotation guy for you. And that is one of, one of it, you could probably argue it's the most important thing. Well, that, it seems within reach, too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And seem... like Thursday was such, like, that's the thing. Like, I know in, in a season that has had, you know, a lot of downs, right, and has been a roller coaster and we're all worried about what's going to happen and all this other stuff, I, I know it's 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 not always easy to be excited like, oh, a guy went six innings, like big deal. But this is the steps he needs to take. He hasn't done these things yet. 
he hasn't had a quality start. He hasn't thrown, you know, 90-plus pitches in in a start. He hasn't had a quality start and, and done all this stuff. So each box that he's able to check off, each milestone he's able to hit, like, he's got to do it. And, and he has to get that experience, and he did Thursday night. And, and you just hope that each and every time he gets out there, he's able to build and build and build and you know, in, in in the future, you know, whether it's immediately next year or, or as we go on here, he's built himself into the guy we're all envisioning he can become because of the stuff that you're talking about, Brendan. We we talked about him on his debut and the topic that night when he was tipping his hat was, wow, look at that curveball. Wow, look at that changeup. But at the end of the year, some of the data didn't really back what we were seeing. Like his active spin rate on his curveball during that time was like among the worst in the league. And then the arm injuries. And then he came back from, I think he had a biceps injury and the command was immediately off and the velo went down. And all of a sudden, Alzali kind of disappeared from the possibility of him being a legitimate top tier starter. And now, you know, just a year later, We're talking about him realistically as a top starter because he has two new pitches, because he looks to be maturing physically and mentally and trying to soak in as much information from veterans like Ari. Like this is a this is a new pitcher. And so the fact that we're having this conversation, I think should inspire optimism. And I'm excited to see like what we'll say in the next, you know, three, four, five months by the end of this year. Maybe Alzelai is not gonna be you know, talked about, will he be a three-star or two-star? Maybe he'll be talked about as the ace going into next year. That's with stuff like that, and not to like, you know, put Hendricks down, but with stuff like that, when you have a slider that's rating among the best in major league baseball, fifth best, that's, that's not a, that's not a fluke. That's not something to ignore. That is legitimate top tier stuff. And he's continuing to develop. Yeah, absolutely. So so this was this was an exciting night. This was a very productive night in a in a otherwise bad series. This was a a very solid night. Uh again, not only for 2021, but but for someone who figures uh to be a pretty large part of whatever the Cubs plans are here going forward. So, I want to stay on the rotation. Again, I I don't I don't think I or Brendan have much to offer on Zach Davies. He's been awful. I mean, I I don't I don't know what to say about that. Um, you know, I think he's described, you know, not really feeling right in his mechanics and, and he's got a track record that's better than this. So I, I, I do think that there is, uh, an improvement coming for him, but you know, I, I, it's just sort of an obvious, it's just one of those obvious scenarios. It's like, obviously this isn't good enough. Um, but I don't have as much of a sort of like diagnostic view on him. Um, and I, I think we'd be better off spending that time on Kyle. Uh, before I, I throw it to you on Kyle, though, you know, again, Trevor Williams with a nice start on Tuesday. He deserved better uh, than to get hung with that loss there. Um, but, you know, through through a handful of starts here, a mid-four ERA, and, you know, that includes, I think, one of those games was, uh, you know, particularly bad. But for the most part, he's doing exactly what you want. He's He, he costs them very little money. He's made some improvements with Tommy Hadovy and his pitch repertoire and stuff like that, and he's he's keeping you in the game. He's giving you starts that are giving you a chance to win. He's battling. He's he's getting through. Um, again, you know, like with everybody, you'd like to see a little more length. There are a lot of five inning starts from a lot of these guys, um, but for what you got him 
the the contract you got him on, the expectations you have for him, what you're asking for him, Trevor Williams has been a very nice signing uh, and certainly a, a very nice uh, back of the rotation guy doing, I think, everything you want him to be doing. So I want to turn it over to you, Brendan, to talk to us about Kyle Hendricks. Now, the, the only thing I'll say before you kind of dive into what you're seeing from him is this is sort of, uh, it's an obvious thing to say, but this is one of the issues that sort of gets thrown into the spotlight when you trade someone like you, Darvish, right? It sounds very simple to say. It's not uh, a revelation, but you had a power arm who was competing for Cy Young's in 2020 and and figures to do that in 2021. You traded him and now you move a guy up like Hendricks to that top spot. And I I don't say this to suggest that Hendricks isn't a number one starter or can't be a number one starter or anything like that. But you you moved the big power arm and and one of your two kind of like sure thing dominant starters, it puts all that pressure on Kyle Hendricks, and you feel the weight. Kyle is sometimes a slow starter, and I have every confidence in the world that he will turn it around. And you know, I'm I'm not really worried about it. But when you move your 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 top arm, and you have a rotation that is is not really built that strong behind him, it puts all that pressure on Kyle Hendricks. We we've seen Hendricks go through stretches like this, not exactly like this before, but when he's in a rotation with 2015 or 2016 Jake Arrieta and John Lester, who cares, right? Let him battle through it and you know he's going to give you several months of top tier uh top end starting pitching. It's fine. When he's your top guy and he's you know, kind of your only top guy, as we're, you know, hoping Alzali sort of makes those steps, it puts all the pressure on Kyle Hendricks, and the team feels it. It's it's sort of similar to, like, when Baez uh, struggles or one of the stars in the lineup struggles. Like, the, te- the team, literally, the rotation is built where Kyle Hendricks needs to be on. He needs to be Kyle Hendricks all the time, or you are really going to feel the the way this rotation was built. And Unfortunately, that's what's happening. Um, you know, he's got a seven and a half ERA, and you feel it. You feel it from the perspective of this team because you're not able to turn to him right now as the stopper, as a guy who you can rely on. Like, okay, things are messy. It's an up and down thing, but we know Kyle's going to go out there and give us seven or eight innings. He's going to lock it down. We're going to pick up a W. You know, once every fifth day. We're not. I, I think we'll get there, but we're not there right now. And you feel it. Um, so, Brendan, what's going on? Break it down for me. About four years ago, Hendricks' velocity dipped from like, you know, 87, 88, all of a sudden down to 84, 85, four years ago. And that was startling because at that time, you, you don't know what the reason is. You don't know if he's injured. You don't know if, if something weird is going on mechanically that's not salvageable. But that was such a stark difference that it really stood out to, to I think, everyone. And at that time, when we were looking at it and talking about Kyle on, on his podcast and, you know, talking and blogging for Cubs Insider, one of the observations that we saw was, hey, the data is saying that, that Kyle's release point, his vertical release point is like way higher when he's, when he's not good. He's like throwing slower when it's really high up. 
And so Ryan Davis, who's uh, you know one of the dudes at, at Cubs Insider, actually got a chance to talk to Kyle about this. And Kyle said at the time, quote, and he was just coming off the DL at this time um, when he was talking to Ryan Davis. But Kyle Hendricks told him at the time, quote, things have been changing. I'm such a routine-oriented guy that going on the DL and then coming off, my mechanics have been a little off. They've been changing game to game a little bit. My stride has been a little long at times, and my arm slot gets too high. But just trying to shorten up my stride, stay over the rubber better, and get my arm angle down, Corey, end quote. He didn't say Corey in that quote, but you get the idea. So, so he's saying that one way you can look at his mechanics to like operationalize when he's on is that vertical release point and the deviation from like game to game. Okay, that's what he said. What did the data look like in his last start when he got just absolutely throttled? Corey, from his last however many starts he's been since the season started, four or five starts now, this is the greatest change in the tip of your vertical release point he's had in five years. So he's more or less saying or showing, rather, that his mechanics are off. And him coming off the IL is probably a contributor to that. And he wasn't really on point before the IL. And he was still searching for stuff, too. So his last start, to me, is not really a continuation of the problems we saw prior to the IL. I think it's an amplification. I think, I think it's, it's not more worrisome. But it's it's an additional layer that can explain why he's not been good. So the good news is this has happened before to him way back then, you know, four, five plus years ago. Maybe not this extreme. You have to go back to 2016 and some of those game-to-game starts. But he's able to normalize himself. And his velocity in that last start, despite the high release point, still still pretty good. It's not as if this release point is like way higher than in years past. It's just abnormal from a game-to-game situation. So that's what you have to zone in on. And I think you do have to be honest with yourself to not group that last start against the Braves, which was terrible with the previous bad starts because they can be explained for different reasons. And you have to be honest with yourself. What did the IL travel everything else due to his mechanics. And can he get back to that point? Absolutely. Why? Well, we've seen it before. And it's Kyle Hendricks. And he just basically verbalized when he's off. And he did that many years ago. It's not a recent thing. He knows the issues. He's saying he's searching for things in the media. I don't buy it. I think it's only a matter of time where he and Tommy Hadovy can identify the issue. It may not be like, hey, next week or the next two starts. Maybe it is. But at some point, I do think we see Kyle normalize. Yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to break it down better than Brendan. Uh, again, like I, I just have every confidence in Kyle. It's, it's, it's certainly frustrating. And like I said, you know, it, it's it, the, the team needs him to be better than this. It's a tough spot to put him in. Um, but that's, again, you know, that's kind of what happens when you trade away a guy like you, Darvish, and you leave it all to Kyle. I, you know, it, it, it puts a lot on his shoulders. It puts a lot on, on all these guys' shoulders. And, you know, that, that that's something that, that we've been talking about and, and going forward here, you know, against the Reds and with the Dodgers coming up. As a whole, you know, they, they have to start 
going deeper into games. Um, and it relates to the bullpen as well. Like when you have a bullpen that's made up of so many guys who are inconsistent, right? And they're shuffling the bullpen around. Justin Steele is back. So you're going to continue to see more of that. But when you have so many guys who on any given night, they may not have their command or they may be whiffing everybody that comes up, right? Like, you can get away with a bullpen like that when you're going to one or two of those guys in Kimbrel on on a nightly basis. When you're asking three or four, you know, or more of those guys to come in, one of them is bound to not be good, right? Or you're you're bound to run into trouble somewhere. And that's the problem with, you know, so many of these three, four inning outings. And and that's the the first thing that that we really got to change. And, you know, I know on some of these nights, David Ross has tried to have Zach Davies and Kyle Hendricks or whoever it is gut through these outings and and give them that length a little bit, even if, uh, you know, the game has gotten away from them a little bit. But that's just something like that the rotation as a whole really needs to start picking up on you know and even someone like Arietta who's who's been very solid in his outings you know still only five or six innings right and you know you're not going to be able to get a complete game shutout every night but you, you ha- they, they're going to need to start giving the bullpen a little bit of a break at some point because you're just asking so much uh, of these guys um although they you know they they do have uh we did see um that new lefty that they have well we've seen him before but he's back uh, that they have out in the bullpen, Brendan. Um, Anthony Rizzo, I don't know if you've heard of him. Yeah, I have. Uh, you know, career earway of 0.0 core, right. locked down. Right, yeah. Um, he, you know, speaking of Alzali and, and the filth on his slider, how about that Anthony Rizzo curveball, man? Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Talk about spin rate. That's among the best, Corey. Yeah. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention that. I thought that was great. I, you know, I know like some people like are frustrated when the team is losing and, and stuff like that. And um, I look, if if you can't enjoy the the moments like that, especially in a season like this, I don't know. You know, it's it yeah. fan however you want to fan, root however you want. But to me, I think you gotta you have to enjoy that. You have to try to enjoy that. It was such a fun moment to just from the game of baseball perspective, watching Rizzo and and Freeman over these last couple of weeks. I mean, they 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 play each other twice. I mean, they're pumping out content. The two of these guys, I know, right? Man. It's an incredible yeah. amount of content for two guys that only play two series against one another a year. Um, but I, I think you you, you got to enjoy that. And uh, yeah, I I don't think the the guys laughing and enjoying that means that they're not upset that they're down 10 to nothing or whatever it was at the time because that that was just amazing absolutely amazing Rizzo's face after he struck him out Freeman's face after he struck out after the game you know saying <laughs> and that, Rizzo man. just like on the mountain looking for the signs trying not to laugh right like the funniest thing <laughs> and you know Freeman after the game saying that he's now he's gonna have to deal with Rizzo talking about this forever <laughs> oh, yeah. and I don't know if everybody caught it but in the game on uh, Thursday when David Ross came to take Ryan to Paris out of the game Rizzo they they caught him on the camera looking at the umpire and then at David Ross like asking if he was if he was getting the ball (laughs) he wanted back out there uh Matt Duffy said he wanted back out there too he pitched on Wednesday as well so I thought that was awesome I thought it was uh very enjoyable in a otherwise bad game on Wednesday so with uh that's that's kind of where we are on on the rotation we we knew you know this is another one of those things like in in a lot of ways right like this team so far has a very kind of like Dennis Green coaching the Cardinals after Devin Hester and the Bears 
beat them kind of vibe, right? They they are who we thought they were. Like none of none of what is happening with this team is shocking, right? Like oh, the rotation is having some struggles and they're they're not going deep into games. Like yeah, we we knew that that might be a possibility. We knew there might be stretches like that, right? You know, the offense scores seven runs and nine runs and sandwiched in between two shutouts and seven hits in two days, right? Like we, you know, this is sort of what we expected. And it just, you know, you kind of have to take those lumps along the way with a team like this and hope that things start to even out a little bit, right? And and what I mean by that is on, on Monday, the Cubs score seven runs, but Davies is, you know, very not good, very bad in that game. And they give up eight runs. But then on Tuesday, the seven runs would have won that game, right? Like the Braves get five in that. It doesn't work exactly like that, but you guys know what I mean. Sometimes you're going to run into those sequencing problems where the nights where the offense isn't there, that's the same night the starting pitching is there. Then the nights where the offense is there, the starting pitching isn't there, or the bullpen isn't there. Unfortunately, that's just how it goes with, with a team like this, and you have to kind of hope that they're able to even that stuff out a little bit. But I want to talk about the offense a little bit. Um, again, you know, some of this stuff is just continuations of, of things we'd, we'd seen before and been talking about throughout the entire season. But one thing that I do think deserves our attention, at least to discuss a little bit, and we raised the issue of when might they move Ian Happ from that leadoff spot. He's obviously been struggling. And, you know, sort of the topic that you and I were discussing, Brendan, was You've got a guy who had success in this spot last year, who you obviously are hoping continues to make strides and developing and and continuing to be that everyday center fielder, especially that we saw at the beginning portion of of 2020, uh, really before he took that that foul ball off of his eye. And at the same time, you know, balancing that with the team is struggling, you're not winning as many games as you want, and your leadoff hitter has like a 550 OPS, which is not good. How long do you entertain that? Or do you think about even dealing with that? And the answer for David Ross was literally that night, on Monday night, Ian Happ is out of the leadoff spot. Uh, On Monday, he hit in the five spot. On Tuesday, he hit in the eight spot. And in the final games of this series with the Braves, Jake Marisnik starts in center field, and Ian Happ does not play uh, other than in a, you know, pinch hit come in later in the game role. Uh, He actually didn't see any action on Thursday, so just on Wednesday he got in late in the game. So I want to, you know, we, we, we talked about the thought process behind this, obviously, because we talked about it before it actually happened. Um, but as we leave this series, just want to kind of like check in now that we've seen this, right? We saw, you know, Marisnik hits a home run on Thursday. We've liked what we've seen out of him, um, though I don't think either of us were necessarily advocating for uh, like a switch there. Not that I think that's what's happening. David Ross saying, you know, he believes in Hap. He believes this team at its best has Hap in the leadoff spot. Um, and, you know, that's what he envisions. But how do you feel about this, you know, four games later, uh, as we've seen Hap not in the leadoff spot for two of these games and out of the lineup completely on, on Wednesday and Thursday? What do you what do you think the, the, the future for this this situation is? Um, how do you feel about Hap and, 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 and just everything? Uh, because, you know, when we talked about this on Sunday night, 
I I definitely didn't think it was happening the next day. I, I know you were uh, definitely, I think, more ready to try it than yeah. I, I mean, I I I I I was ready for it. I just didn't think David Ross. I didn't think we were there yet. And uh, you know, I know one of the things we talked about was like, well, does it mess him up to move him out? Does it mess with his confidence? Like, where is he mentally? We don't really know that. So, how do you feel about this a few days later? I'm a little surprised they did it so fast, I guess. Like, I, I know I was curious about it, but I didn't, I didn't believe they would do it, like, the next the next day. I I don't interpret Ross's decision to bench him, if you want to call it a bench, for two straight games as reflective of what he will do in the future. Because we just saw him do that with Hayward last week, where he sat against two lefties, and then, you know, he's been playing consistently since then. So... I don't know if this is what Ross does. I don't know if he takes like the the approach of, all right, you're slumping. Just give yourself two days, not one day, two days off. Maybe that's what he's going to do. But in terms of Hap, like, you, you see it, right? We, we, we all see it. The patience has been good. He's taking good pitches. His outside-the-zone swing rate is more or less identical to last year. The issue, though is he's just not making contact against pitches inside the zone. So he has his lowest zone contact rate since debuting in his rookie year. And he has, you know, his overall lowest contact rate before he went back down to Iowa. This is not to say, hey, you need to go back down to Iowa, but it's all to say that a lot of the issues we've talked about with Hap have reappeared in some cases ever since he debuted. And it's unfortunate it's happening right now and can he get back to a point where he was clobbering the ball in the first part of 2020? I, I, I hope so. But with a hitter like this portfolio, this is what you get. Someone who's going to whiff a lot typically has some more bouts of inconsistency. And you look at Javi Baez, they have similar contact rates from a career standpoint. And this is what you get. You get peaks and valleys. That's why a player like Rizzo and a player like KB, both guys who make well above league average contact, with Rizzo being even more so above league average contact, those guys don't go through these huge peaks and valleys like this. And so have for him to get to that next step where you can rely on him, and especially out of the leadoff spot, you got to make more contact. Like not swinging at bad pitches is great, but you have to show the ability to make more contact. Can it happen? Yeah, he's young enough. He can continue to make adjustments. I'm optimistic because he's shown the ability to make adjustments, but I, I, you know, we we said the same things about Schwarber in the years past, and at some point, it, it is frustrating to always have this conversation. Now it's been, you know, this is our fifth season talking about Ian Happ, and you do want to see changes be long lasting, and for for Ian, it hasn't been that yet. I hope it is. I'm optimistic it is, but you have to be realistic with the scenario at hand. It's it's a it's a tough spot um, because you know Hap is still a younger guy. He obviously doesn't have the same length of track record as as some of these guys. You know, came up later, wasn't a part of that that World Series run and, and stuff like that. Um, and figures to be a rather important figure going forward. You know, we talked during the 2020 season and, you know, I think during this offseason that Hap looking like that guy we saw, you know, again, like the the numbers for him do kind of line up with him fouling that ball, um, you know, back into his eye 
even though that didn't seem like, you know, a, a disaster at the time. I don't know if it affected him, you know, whatever. The numbers do sort of line up with that, though. Um, we talked about at the time, like, you know, him developing into that everyday center fielder who is kind of, you know, bordering on like stardom, right? It, it felt like that during 2020s, uh, the, the media darling, and he was a, an MVP candidate in the early going of that 60-game season. Um, that's huge, right? Like that, you know, we're, we're talking about the future. We're talking about what Nico is going to be doing. And, you know, is he going to be able to occupy, is he going to be able to be like that three, four win second base type guy as he makes adjustments at the plate? Is Alzali going to be able to be a, a number three, number two, number one starter type guy as he's developing these pitches and all that other stuff? And, you know, Hap was, was in that group, right? As we're, as we're looking at some of these contracts expiring, some of these guys getting older, some guys, you know, only on one-year deals, like Hap was one of those guys where it's like, okay, you know, this is maybe like the the sort of leader of this this new era or whatever is going to happen with the Cubs, and 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 I don't and I don't think that's off the table. Of course, you know, we're a month into the season, right? But the the spot with Hap is tricky because, like you said, Brendan, you know, a lot of these are issues that we've seen before. And, you know, some of this is is what he was sent down for to start the 2019 season. And there, there are issues that, as you mentioned, you know, plague someone with his particular profile. And one of the things we looked at in the early going here was that he may be getting some bad luck, right? And the expected numbers look better. That stuff has, has trended the wrong direction, right? Like the, some of the, the, at bats have gotten worse. The the contact like that has not been as good going forward. And as you've been mentioning this entire time, Brendan, you know when you have a contact rate that's that low, it, it you're susceptible to bad luck. You're susceptible to smaller sample issues and 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 things like that. Um, so it's a tough spot, and and it, it's yeah. a tough spot for David Ross because you are trying to win games, you're trying to put Hap in the best position to be able to make these adjustments and continue developing and, and get those reps, um, you know, but uh, especially against lefties and, and, you know, batting righty like Marisnik's looked pretty interesting, right? Plays good defense. He's very fast, has hit some home runs for the Cubs, hit the ball, hits the ball hard. And it's a tough spot. And, and you don't want to be putting Hap out there and compounding the problem, right? And, you know, the, the at-bats get worse. He gets more in his head or anything like that. And I don't know where he's at, right? I trust David Ross to figure that out. But it's a tough spot is is sort of the, the best way I can explain it. I think you and I, when we talked about this the other day, I, I think we're both confident that Hap makes adjustments. And, you know, this is not reflective of who he is as a player, um, you know, does he get back to what he looked like at the beginning of that 2020 season? I don't know, but I, I, I do, you know, sort of similar to the way we talked about the offense in the first couple weeks of the season, Ian, Ian Happ is, is not this player. He's not a 500-ish OPS player. He's just not. Uh, he's got too much talent for that. He's, he's shown us better at, at the major league level, you know, his career OPS is still around the 800 level, which for a center fielder with speed and stuff like that is, is good. Um, yeah. but he's looked good defensively this year. Well, I, that's, that's what I will say. And some of the numbers do back it up. His outfield jump is above league average. So he's made strides defensively, 
if that's a positive, and it just show, goes to show you that over time he is capable of making you know adjustments yeah. and being open to you know criticism and, and you know as i've i've been on you know you know this brendan uh from his first interviews in spring training and his first big league camp he's he's always willing to put in the work right you know that he is a guy who is willing to put in the work who is willing to play whatever position the cubs want him to take minor league assignments if that's what they want him to do whatever right so he's that type of guy and i believe in him for those reasons and and for his talent the the to to be clearer when i keep saying uh it's a tough spot the tough spot is that his numbers are so awful right now that's the tough spot um when we look at some of these guys you know uh Jason Hayward has a 613 OPS, which isn't very good, but, you know, there there's some batted ball data and, you know, of course, how he is as a right fielder that it's okay. And, and we've seen him make those strides on offense the last few years. Javi's been up and down, but, you know, he's got a 775 OPS leaving this series. He's hitting some bombs. Hap's OPS is around 500, right? That's really awful. Like that's that's what I mean when I say a tough spot. It, it's it's not eh. He's struggling. It's not great, but we can battle through it. it. You know, it's fine. We move him down in the order. He's like, I, I think I sent you this text the other day, Brendan. Like he's got John Lester twenty nineteen at the plate numbers right now in terms of like his OPS and and stuff like that. So that's the tough spot that David Ross is in. That you want to be thinking about how to succeed in 2021 and how to best help Hap, you know, through this rough spot. Because again, this is not who he is and, and he will get through it, but it's very tough to to slot in a guy who has uh, offensive numbers like that when it it hasn't started to kind of, just from the eye test, look a little better. It, it puts David Ross in a really awkward spot um, because those numbers are, are gaudy in terms of how bad they are, and and it's 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 unfortunate because uh, you know again like I think we all have higher hopes for Hap, and he's he's better than this, but it 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 creates a, a pretty difficult situation for a manager to navigate when 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 the numbers are what they are. Okay, let's preview this upcoming series in Cincinnati against the Reds. The Reds right now are 11 and 13. Cubs stand at 11 and 14. First game Friday, 6:10 p.m. Central Start Time. We have Jake Arrieta on the mound for the Cubs with a 3 and 2 record, a 2.57 ERA. He'll be facing Wade Miley with a 2 point with a 2 and 2 record and a 2.45 ERA. On Saturday, Zach Davies on the mound for the Cubs, looking to rebound from his rough start. On the year, he's 1-2 with a 9.47 ERA. He'll be facing Luis Castillo, who's also off to a slow start, a 1-2 record, a 6.29 ERA. That game on Saturday starts in the afternoon, a 3.10 p.m. Central start time. Then on Sunday, to finish off the three-game set, we have another afternoon start time. This one a little bit earlier, 12.10 p.m. Central. We have Trevor Williams on the mound for the Cubs, 2-2, two two, a 4.44 ERA. He'll be facing Tyler Malley, who's given the Cubs trouble in the past on the year. He's 1-1 one one with a 1.75 ERA. Lots of uh, stuff to watch for this series. We didn't talk about him exclusive, uh, in depth in this podcast, but I do think it's worth mentioning. Nico's looked really, really, really good. His play discipline numbers so far... 
He's swinging at fewer pitches outside the strike zone than what we've seen in years past. For example, when he debuted in 2019, he swung at uh, pitches outside the zone at a 48% clip. This year, it's a 24% clip. It's almost half in the short going year. Small sample, um, needs to be said. But he's also making really good contact. He has a 90% zone contact rate. Insane. Ian Happ, on the other hand, the contrast is below 75%. So that's a huge, huge difference. And then in addition to Nico, continuing to see KB look good uh, with KB in the middle of the order, him putting up quality at bats, going to the opposite field with authority. That's when you know he's on, and that's when the Cubs offense can get back on track from the pitching side, uh, Trevor Williams had seven whiffs with his slider last outing. Uh, one of his best slider games in a very, very long time. So looking to see that slider be more or the same degree of effectiveness as well. So that's what I got. And this is a series you need to come away with a win, man. It'd be nice to come back with some you know, positive momentum going into this month before, again, you start facing June and you have all these uncomfortable trade discussions happening. Yeah, so I I never really like playing the Reds. Uh, a lot of that stems from those 2004 teams. I won't say any names. I know that that's quite triggering for you, Brendan, as it is no. me. Please, please no. Um, but what I will say is that because of how weird, I, I think I mentioned this before, like how weird this schedule has been for the Cubs. Like they're already done playing the Braves. We played the Brewers a million times. Um, it's nice to see somebody else at like it, like it was when, when the Cubs played the Mets. Like it's just nice to not be playing these same three teams, I guess. Um, just get a different look at somebody, right? Like, especially you like, you know, now. the Braves <laughs> don't appear to be a very good matchup for the Cubs at the moment. So it's just nice to not be playing teams that at the moment we don't really seem to be able to beat on a regular basis. Uh, hopefully the Reds are a team that the Cubs are ready to compete against. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, Rizzo's let off a couple games. I, I, you know, Rizzo's talked about how that's not really the ideal position for him. Um, and I don't think David Ross envisions that long term. So it'll be interesting to see if Nico gets back up there. We've seen him there. Uh, and, you know, how they go about working half back in and, and letting him start to make those adjustments. Um, and like you said, you know, we, we focused on, on, Alzali, uh, but I did mention, you know, Nico being so critical to the future and and what he does in 2021 being uh, so important and and him being able to make those strides. It's obviously a small sample for him as he hasn't been up that long, but just seeing him in that lineup with a a, a, a line, you know, a, a 360 batting average and an OPS over a thousand, it's a beautiful sight, right? It's a small sample, but it's he's he's huge Uh, you can come up with whatever you know headlines you want for the 2021 season but Adbear Nico Horner their development and ultimately you know hopefully by the end of the year they're sort of like cementing of those spots on this team and being able to just sort of pencil them in going forward Nico Horner's your second baseman this is what we're expecting Adbear Alazali is top of the rotation, you know, wherever you slot him in arm, this is what we're expecting out of him. That is huge and, and something to pay attention to, whether the Cubs are competitive till the end of the season, whether they're competitive until the trade deadline, doesn't matter. Those things are huge for the future and worth paying attention to on a daily basis. And as you mentioned, but I, we would both be remiss, uh, I, I alluded to it earlier, but Chris Bryant has a 310 batting average. He has an OPS uh, 1,011. 
I don't know what else to tell you guys, right? Like that OPS <laughs> would rank 10th in all of baseball. And so for the millionth time, when he's healthy, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. And right now he is healthy and he is one of the top 10 hitters in Major League Baseball. Uh, combine his defense and his elite base running, one of the best players in baseball. So that is where we are. It is a pleasure to watch. Uh, it is, as you know, Brendan alluded to, uh, unfortunately, not something that I can guarantee how much longer you're going to be able to watch it. I, I, I know I can speak for you here, Brendan. Um, I am not going to uh, look back and think that I did not appreciate Chris Bryant when he was here. I hope he's here for a long time. The Cubs should extend him uh, and keep him here long term, and they can still do that. And I hope they do that. I don't know what they're going to do. But I do think there are a lot of Cubs fans that there will come a time, and hopefully it's once he's retired as a Cub in many years, uh, they will regret taking him for granted. Um, and, and the things that they said about him and the things that they believed about him and all that other stuff, uh, because he's just an unbelievable baseball player. He's one of the best players that you and I certainly have been, had the privilege of watching in a Cubs uniform in our lifetimes. And I'm happy as I was every time we talk about this, uh, I'm happy that he is succeeding in what figures to be a very big year for him in his career, in his life, and hopefully one for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, so we will see how that plays out. But I think that's all we have for you. It was a a tough series in Atlanta, um, you know, uh, especially if, if they had found a way to win that game, uh, you know, on Monday and you had been able to split this series against an Atlanta team on the road. It's, 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 it's always one of those things that's, I don't want to say remarkable, but you do notice like how easily you could have a completely different perspective if, if one game had been a little different in a series like this. Uh, so ultimately though, dropping three out of four, um, you know, not faring well against the Braves in the, in the couple series that you've had against them. And, you know, finding yourself uh, a few games under 500, a few games back in the division. And as we've alluded to a lot, the schedule doesn't get any easier. Um, you know, we'll see how the Reds look and how these two teams match up. Uh, but the Dodgers are coming and that, that pitching, those pitching matchups for that Dodgers series are going to be really dicey for the Chicago Cubs, uh, unless the offense is, is really up to the task. And, and I hope that they are, but it's going to be a tough stretch. And I think as we predicted when it all started, I, I do think that, you know, whether they're able to turn things around and, uh, start winning series and start winning games and avoid, long losing streaks like they just went on, I, you know, I, I do think we're in that stretch that's really going to define this season, going to define what the front office does and, and define what we see uh, in the immediate future for the Chicago Cubs. So we'll start with the Reds this weekend. We will be back with you on Sunday to break it all down, talk about what happened. And I, I do hope that we are talking about a series win over to the Cincinnati Reds. But until then, we thank you guys for listening to the Cubs Related Podcast. We thank you guys for your five-star reviews in the Apple Podcasts app or store, wherever you're able to do that. We appreciate you taking the time. And we will talk to you on Sunday evening. As always, go Cubs.